Beloved, now open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Our scripture tonight is one verse, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15. And that verse says, thou shalt not steal. You shall not, excuse me, you shall not commit adultery. You shouldn't steal anyway. But uh, tonight, especially, we are to look at do not commit adultery. And that's our text. Let's pray. Now, Lord, help us and give us understanding as what is entailed here. We we see that you are faithful to your covenant, to your people, and uh, as such we regard your truth as most pure, and that you yourself most pure, most devout uh, to those that you, Lord, are espoused with or covenanted with. We pray, Lord, that we would understand how we are to relate to one another as beings in your image, uh, but also beings that relate uh, in a manner that is uh, physical, uh, in, a, in a conjugal manner. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would give us what wisdom and light, for we would please you in all that we do, and we would please you in this commandment. And so we ask your blessing and uh, grant us your light. And may the words of my mouth and the, the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Uh, have you... Have you have you young people, have you students uh, taken a class in chemistry yet? Have you, have you had physical chemistry or physical chemistry? There's one that's looking down on your shoes, uh, probably thinking, I should have taken that, but I didn't. I, I, got, I took volleyball instead, you know. But uh, physical chemistry, especially when it has a lab, a laboratory. With it. You're in a lab, you've got a test tube, and the, and the teacher says... Uh, <clears throat> identify what's in this liquid and you shake it and it's a clear liquid and it could be anything. Uh, and, and, and she expects you, your teacher in the lab expects you to run certain easy tests and mixing uh, various ingredients in here. You hope to get a precipitate. If it's this color, it's that. If it's another color, it's the other. And uh, that way determine. But you know, really, if you're really sharp, if you have the key uh, to the head chemist's office, all you have to do is take that tube into his office and run it through his spectrometer, and that'll tell you exactly what's in there in about five seconds, you know? Because the spectrometer is able to uh, show frequencies of light identifying certain kinds of chemicals. And uh, it'll show all sorts of frequencies, but it'll have a spike on hydrogen, it'll have a spike on chlorine, and, um, and then you can say, you know, this looks like very, very pure hydrochloric acid. Your teacher will think you're a genius, you're out of there, Two hours before everybody else in the lab. It's wonderful to be smart. Now, why am I saying this? Am I giving you some keys as to how to pass PCAM? No. I'm telling you that there are signatures that uh, determine molecules, and, there's, and they're, they're physically identifiable. And there are signatures showing you where, when a person is pagan. The pagan is identified by a certain signature. And that is, he has a spike in how he breaks the Ten Commandments. And especially the, the Tenth Commandment, which is uh, covetousness. He has a, a lust, and his lust is due to the fall. His lust, his lust is birthed by his carnality, his carnal nature. The pagan is identified with his carnal nature. Now, he can't, uh, he's not, he's not going to be easily identified by his carnal nature until it expresses itself in particular sins. And the pagan expresses his covetousness, the breach of the Tenth Commandment, 
in two particular sins. One is idolatry. He is intensely religious after one thing, to comfort himself and his desires apart from Jehovah God. That is a signature of the pagan, a spike. He has a mighty interest in something. He has to have it or he is undone. Give me liberty or give me death type thing, you know? Right. I, I, I don't know. I, I, might, I might do without liberty, honestly, guys. I, I might live uh, as a vassal in a vassal nation under another leader and, and not commit suicide or, or, or necessarily have to spawn a, revo uh, a revolution. I just might. But the pagan has to have that lust, and that's idolatry. And he treats uh, his false gods in the same way, as to manipulate whatever he desires. Those who are given to idolatry have a co-signature, and that is the lust of the flesh, sexual, sexual perversion, sexual desire, abandonment. Sexual abandonment is a mark, a signature mark of the pagan. He gives himself to uncleanness. And a regenerate person does not. A regenerate person keeps himself, his body under check, and he keeps himself to the Lord. In other words, he's chaste. That's the word that basically surmises, uh, summarizes uh, the position of, of a person who is devoted to God and is pure and cleansed from uh, the sexual aberration, sexual transgression, sexual sin, perversion, and all that. Now, we all have the, the fallen nature, and uh, its temptation is to covet. But we in the Spirit, by faith, are putting to death those, those covetous desires. And uh, we who are regenerate in Christ are able to, uh, to halt or to delay or to stop by the power of the resurrection, by the death that we enjoy in Christ on the cross, by the resurrection of Christ, of Christ in the, uh, from, the, from the death, from the death, we partake in his life. And his life is pure in the Holy Spirit. And so we interrupt and we do away with that signal so that the spectrogram, if it picks it up, it only picks it up intermittently and not with such a large, uh, a large spike. In other words, he's, he's not one to be recognized as a pagan. A Christian is recognized as chaste. Uh, and his relations with his wife, his relations with his friends, his relation uh, in his thoughts and, and all that. See, he has a reputation for not being a dirty person. Well, my friends, we're talking here about God saying we must be chaste. It's not a matter of just never, the commandment is not do not get married and then cheat on your wife. That's not what is meant by do not commit adultery. Uh, again, the heading of every commandment of the Ten Commandments is the uh, the extreme or final uh, the, the final expression of the greatest transgression in that class. That's how you handle the understanding of the Ten Commandments according to the hermeneutic of the Westminster Larger Catechism. By the way, this sermon is just the Larger Catechism. I'm just making some commentary around it and exhorting you around it. So it's a preaching, it's not a teaching. So the teaching here is that the seventh commandment requires uh, the preservation of your own and your neighbor's chastity in thought and word and deed 
and it forbids all unchaste thoughts, words, and deeds. And uh, you'll recognize that if you know your Shorter Catechism. That's Shorter Catechism 71 and 72. All right, let's go through this very quickly. First point, and there's only two points, God requires you to be chaste. What does it not mean? God is here not commanding celibacy. No, he's not. Roman Catholic priests vow celibacy. That is to say, they vow not to have relations at all. To be celibate is to be asexual, as far as your expression. But that vow, unless they have the gift of celibacy, is taken unlawfully. And uh, it is an unnatural vow. And it is one that God condemns in his word. And uh, we must be clear that the commandment here is, does not involve celibacy as a higher order of purity that is reserved for, for our religious leaders. I mentioned this morning's preaching, the high, the high priest was to be exceptionally holy. He was, he's to be regarded as uh, one who is most exemplary because he represents the nation before God. But in 1 Timothy 4, that approach to purity God condemns, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And both of those things, of course, are, are fulfilled and realized in the Roman Catholic. They, they forbid marriage with a priest, and they say, don't eat meat. The cows are unclean on certain Fridays. Now, come on, guys. Oh. The Lord has given us all good things, and if we, if we receive it, uh, they are uh, sanctified to our good by the word of God and prayer. And you're priests. <laughs> so, so when you pray over your, your, your food in the name of Christ, it's perfectly acceptable. All right. It's not celibacy unless, of course, it is unlawful for you to, to marry or remarry. There are certain situations where it is really unlawful for you to marry or to remarry. I'm not going to have the whole teaching on divorce, marriage, and remarriage. But there are some conditions there that we need to respect. The fuller and broader teaching of the Word of God would include these. God uh, requires you to be chaste in your body, but also in your mind. I, had, I used to have a friend uh, that say, you know, the Lord uh, says, uh, you can't buy, but you can window shop. And that's not true. No, th 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 there's, no, there's no window shopping in the mall uh, of God's kingdom where you refrain from the act, but your mind is engaged. You're giving attention to this. Especially you to uh, guard your affections. Because once you will, that initial spark of temptation, it becomes lust. And once lust is, is expressed, it's sin. And then it leads to bondage and habit. It leads to, uh, it leads to a, a, a degradation of character. 
And then when it's in full bloom, it, it does result in death. Okay. You're to be chaste in your mind, in your body, your affections, your words, and your behavior. And this is exceedingly difficult. Uh, we are tempted in this day and age to be uh, cutting corners. We, it must be said, we all fail in this because we all have the remnant of the fallen nature. We all have a remnant uh, of that lust that wars against the spirit, the flesh against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. But don't consider yourself abnormal because you struggle with this. If you are struggling with this, you are quite normal. In fact, you are probably quite Christian because you're struggling against the current of perversion, uh, especially if you check your motives for doing so as being wanting to, uh, to be chased uh, as unto the Lord, uh, to give him the glory and to uh, give him uh, obedience in his word out of love for him and out of gratitude. But we all fail in this, and we have to confess it. Um, God requires you to be chaste, uh, preserving chastity in yourself and in others. You can't say, well, I'm a Christian, um, and I, I, you know, I don't really have that much concern for pagans. Let them, let them take care of themselves. No, no, they're creatures in the image of God, and our war is not, we don't fight against uh, flesh and blood. We, we want God to redeem souls, and we don't abandon anyone to their lusts. Uh, we commend them to the Lord, and we pray for them, and we pray especially for their uh, for their purity, because this is a this is a sin that leads to bondage very quickly, and uh, and it is very very demoralizing to character, destabilizing to society and family, friendships are broken, etc. We want to preserve chastity in ourselves and others. God, the Lord requires you then to be watchful over your senses. Remember Pilgrim's Progress, the eye gate, the ear gate. Uh, things come in, and you allow things to uh, absorb your attention. And once they, they, are, uh, once you, they have your attention, you dwell on them. And uh, then your, your meditations and your affections are drawn to that. And, and, and then the battle, the battle is ensued. Uh, the war begins in the heart and expresses itself from the heart outwardly. It's not a matter of basic of, of shutting up your virgins under uh, bars as in old medieval Spain and, and wrapping them up in linen so no one can see anything but their eyes. The, the lust still rages. It's a spiritual endeavor and no amount, my friends, uh, of physical abstinence will keep it, but yet you mustn't throw yourself in the middle of places where you will be uh, flooded. Your, your eye gate, your, your ear gate will be flooded with uh, seduction. And so Matthew 5, the Lord warns you, if, if your eye causes you to sin, plug it out. It's, it's, it, and now that is, you think your pastor, your Cuban pastor is hyperbolic. Jesus, the Jew, the Jewish rabbi is very hyperbolic. That's very hyperbolic language. Pluck out your eye rather than sin once. And he means this is serious. That's what he means. He means subdue sin and make it a first priority because this wanton looks 
are extremely dangerous. Uh, God requires to be chaste, so you are to be uh, temperate. That's to say you are to be uh, modest and moderate in your conduct and your speech. I think I think that this probably has to do with uh, alcoholic and bribing of alcohol because you do it tends to dull if you over if you partake too much it, it dulls your uh, your sense of uh, discretion all right and if you hang around with people that are abandon themselves and, and lose control by by alcohol then uh, you open yourself to temptation one that is very often uh, forgotten, even among Reformed churches, is that God requires you to be chaste in, in, in your apparel, in, in, modest, in your modesty. Now, it's one thing to be pretty and to wear uh, uh, clothing that fits. It's another thing that uh, to be uh, handsome or to uh, glory in your flesh or to present yourself for attention's sake. Are you calling undue attention? to your loveliness? Are you inviting the second or third look? Ask yourself that question. You are not to do that. You're not to do that, especially in church, but you're not to do that anywhere. And more and more, the designer clothing have less and less this in mind. Modesty is not in vogue. It's not in vogue, especially on red carpets. Have you noticed that? Red carpets do not typically enjoin modesty. God requires you to be chaste, um, by, by seeking marriage, pursuing marriage for those that can. Uh, in fact, I think uh, the better theologians I've read, they would actually, the Reformed theologians, actually would, would, require, would require you. If you don't have the gift of containment, then you are to seek marriage. Now, that's not as easy as can be done here if you're, if you're, if you're female. Uh, but uh, if you're female and you don't want to be the one who initiates these marriage contracts, you can at least put yourself in a position favorable to encountering good eligible people, not bad eligible people, good eligible people. Um, anyway, pursue that in a godly ma manner. Um, again, the exception is those who are eunuchs for the, uh, for the cause of Christ. Some people are made eunuchs. And that's of the sovereign God who, who does that. There's always that consideration. God requires you to be chaste. Uh, and if you are married, to enjoy, especially, you know, when you're young and you have desires, that conjugal love, that flame may, may abate and extinguish uh, due to age, disease, uh, things like that. But you are to enjoy the wife of your youth, the husband of your youth, you are to uh, regard your body as his and his body as yours. And uh, the husband is not to lord it over his wife. The wife is not to lord it over the husband. They are to mutually submit to one another in this arrangement. And I would almost be bold enough to say in, in this arrangement, you can forget about headship because the, the wife owns the man. Uh, is that bold? Have I got your attention? I know headship and, and patriarchal circles are very, it's, it's a very strong statement, but you might suspend it if you and your body belong to your wife. Think about that. Think about that. You owe her uh, this intimacy. Uh, God requires you to be chaste, and one of the things that helps is to be diligent in labor, diligent in your work. 
having something before you of substance. So your mind is not an idle factory. Uh, that is to say, uh, an idle, yeah, it's a pun. I-D-L-E, idle factory, just spinning its wheels, doing nothing. And of course, if you are idle doing nothing, then all the imaginations of your heart are prone to run riot. One of the things you go to is this sort of thing because of your, 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 your constitution, your fallen nature. And so if you pursue good work, hard work, you'll find yourself less distracted. You, if you, in fact, it's just amazing how, how much of your temptation goes away if you just look in front of you and keep your eyes where you're walking. It's amazing if you put a, you know, blinders on a horse how he runs straight. Just set something practical, profitable before you and be involved in industry, know when to rest, know when to work, and know when to enjoy marriage. Um, avoid all occasions of temptation to uncleanness. Again, it's mostly in our off time, in our recreation, when we have spare time that we fall uh, to this. The work is good, and God gives us work uh, for, that, for that very reason. Avoid everything that may be an occasion to lose thought and uh, binding your affections and your minds and uh, hearing words that you should not. You should be careful with, with musical lyrics. Now, it's, we sing psalms here, and if, if, you, if you would just regard the words of the psalms, they're very beautiful, the most pure words. They're scripture, and they enjoin high and lofty thoughts of God and noble uh, thoughts uh, of, of, of beauty and, and of goodness and righteousness. Uh, but how many psalms do we know and how many, how many stupid songs do we know from the stupid 60s? Or even the stupid 50s had more stupid songs in the 50s. In the 60s, they got to be stupid and, and dangerous. By the 70s, things are well underway as to, to being very, very expressive of pagan sensuality and rebellion. And yet we, they're top 40 songs and we sing them without even thinking about what we're, what we're, think, what we're singing. I, I know, I'm just, I'm just now announcing my own age. Uh, the songs that we have today are, are far more raunchy, but I'm not familiar with them because I, I just don't go near that stuff. But you know what I'm talking about. And so you must resist all temptations to uncleanness. Think of purity, think of pure light, white light, and a mixture of any pigment to, the, to titanium white, straight from the tube, from the artist's pa uh, pa uh, palette, is less than white. And uh, so that's what we're called to, because God requires you to be chaste. Now, the second point is that God requires chastity, but he condemns sin is in every form of uncleanness. And that is to say, just to, you know, I mean, you negate what I just had, you have what God condemns. God is pleased when we obey the commandment and are chaste. God is displeased and he, and he condemns every sin uh, in opposite of neglect. And so you have my outline, if you have it, it's you know, points A through J there. All right. But more specifically, God condemns adultery as the most heinous. The way I understand the confession, adultery is the most heinous aberration uh, of this class of sin. I 
I'll, I'll venture a guess. I know I'm going to get some flack. You know, adultery involves the breaking of a, of a covenant vow, of a marriage vow. And that's what makes it most heinous. It's also a provision of the picture of Christ in this church. It, it, it's, a, it's, it's a complete rele- uh, rebellion as to the first, the very first institution of God in the garden and his expression of his will and his highest reasonable creature, man. And so I think adultery is, follows the formulaic of the larger catechism that the, the highest expression of the aberration, the highest transgression is listed is the commandment. It may be more gross, more displeasing, more abominable to God than sodomy. Because sodomites don't break covenant. In fact, there is no marriage covenant between homosexuals. I don't care what they call it. They can try to call it marriage. You might as well call it peanut butter. It's not marriage. It's peanut butter. Think about that. So much of God's purity and faithfulness to his, to his church is blurred by adultery that is listed as the head of, of, the, of the transgression. Adultery, fornication. Uh, growing up in Miami, I, I had Protestant friends. They, they belonged to a very bad Protestant congregational church. And uh, we were talking about the difference between their, their form of Christianity as mine and and my friend said, as I was riding my bike, it was just a teenager, he said, you know, well, the difference between a Roman Catholic church and, and a Protestant church is in the Protestant church, um, the Catholics, they don't believe in sex before marriage, but the Protestant church allows it. Now they allow fornication. That's what he said. I thought, well, that's a What a strange religion. Adultery, fornication, rape, incest, sodomy, all unnatural lusts. And if I were to list them, I would have to permute about 32 species of weird, weird aberrations back and forth between transgenders, transgenders and every single permutation of weirdness generated by uh, the, tech, the scientific technology of today. But I think, you get, I think you get the picture. Man and women, man and woman in the image of God. And the right relating of the two through covenant. God condemns his sin, every form of uncleanness, all unclean imaginations, thoughts, purposes, and affections. All of that God condemns. All corrupt or filthy communication, novels, texts, videos, or listening to, movies, all of that. Lots and lots and lots of impurity. Now we're, we're going to have trouble viewing anything. Uh, so when you're view- if you're viewing a movie, you might look away or plug your ears and hum. You know, la, 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 la. You know, you know, that, you know that one. Wanton looks, impudent or light behavior, immodest apparel. Wanton looks. You're looking your way. You're straight ahead. As long as you're looking straight ahead, lots of stuff clear up. You're looking straight ahead, you don't see a whole lot of problem. You see something. You know that. That's a wanton look. Check that. Don't do a double. Don't, don't do a triple. Just look ahead. Wanton looks. Prohibiting lawful marriages. 
Now think about that. If, if you have a daughter and she wants to get married, the guy, um, he's got a lot going for him, but he doesn't make a lot of money. She loves him. She's, a, she's drawn to him. He doesn't make a lot of money. Well, the Bible doesn't say a man has to be making a lot of money to get married. If you prohibit that, that marriage on the grounds that this man is not making enough income, I mean, I, he's got a sustainable income. He's not irresponsible. I mean, that's not, the man's not you know, living in a gutter. But neither does he belong to the country club. That's prohibiting a lawful marriage. Also dispensing with unlawful marriages. Uh, you know, uh, that belongs to ministers uh, or, el or elders that are permitted in the, in the church. Now, here's a person, he's a Christian. He's fallen in love with an unchristian, uh, a pagan. He wants to marry her. Well, what, the, what, what will the minister do? Well, they love one another. No, you, can't, you cannot marry them. And the elders have to check the church, make sure that that's not done. And that, of course, is what is done here in our church. By allowing, uh, tolerating, or keeping houses of prostitution, I changed the word because the, the confession says stews. <laughs> and you guys don't know what that is. But uh, that was the old English word in our catechism. The keeping of stews, uh, tolerating them. And, of course, if you visit them, uh, go in there. Um, that's a breach of this commandment, impurity. Entangling vows of single life. We covered that under the Roman Catholic prescription for priests. Undue delay of marriage. Uh, again, you're fighting the gift of God. The reformers, especially Calvin, would, uh, would deprecate that. Luther, of course, married being a monk, uh, decided to go ahead and abominate a bad vow, and he felt like he was free to do so in conscience, in good conscience, and he married a nun, Katerina. Denial or delay of marriage. Having more wives or husbands than one at the same time. And some people read the scriptures, the requirement for elders or deacons, the husband of one wife while he's been divorced, uh, if he marries again, he has two wives, or he's had more than one wife. That is not what is meant in our confession. More than one wife at the time. There is a man, a type of man, who is innocent in a divorce. There is a type of man who is uh, guilty in a divorce. There is a type of woman who is innocent in a divorce. And she is free to remarry. Uh, and, and when she does, she does not have more than one husband at that time. Uh, also prohibited and condemned is unjust divorce. Well, she didn't, um, she can't have children. I want children. I want my, ch I don't want to adopt. I want my children. Henry VIII. If you have enough money or armies, you get away with this especially if you are called the defender of the faith of England. Unjust divorce, desertion, idleness. Here's one, gluttony. Tends to anything that, to anything that tends to strengthening the flesh. Any sin enhances the likelihood of any other sin. So that if you cut one sin, you 
you cut another. You dilute another. Idleness, gluttony, drunkenness, and unchaste company. All right, those are all condemned. Lascivious songs, books, pictures. Uh, again, I, we, we asked Dr. Morton Smith one time, what, about, what do you think of these museums that you go in there and there's all these nudes? And he says, well, you know, they're, they're very artistic and it's very fine painting, but you know, there must be a reason why God dressed man after he sinned. Like, nudity is a putting forth something that God has wanted to obscure, to treat with uh, more modesty and respect. We are not to boast in that flesh. And nudity is thrusting it forward in the name of art. Many things are done in the name of art uh, and called artistic license. I don't know if the Ten Commandments written in stone bend uh, to that degree. I don't think so. There are some dances that I think are fine. I don't know, but that's just my opinion. Some dances are, are very enticing. You have to be careful. You have to be careful in dances. and stage plays, they could be quite, again, artistic license uh, or sin. Ask yourself that question. All other provocations to or acts of uncleanness, either in ourselves or others. Just a general miscellaneous. Be careful. Be careful. You must maintain purity. And the conclusion is, of course, that the seventh commandment requires the preservation of our, your own or neighbor's chastity in thought, word, and deed, and forbids all unchaste thoughts, words, and deeds. All right. Uh, of note, Protestant position, I think the biblical position is that, is that lawfully married couples are celibate when enjoying conjugal relations. This, com this commandment is kept. This commandment is not broken. Uh, the better Roman Catholics in all ages have respected this. It is not impurity uh, to express conjugal love to your wife. Uh, the reason is that that is why marriage is given. And you're one flesh. And uh, it's impossible to covet what you own. You have it. Now, you may not be contented. That's another, that's another issue. Uh, but uh, as far as desire goes, you have it. She's yours. He's yours. Lawfully, married couples are celibate in the eyes of God. All right? Now, I'm not saying that legally married couples, because the law of the land may permit other things to match up. But God has no regard for that. In fact, he condemns any marriage except for by one man and one woman. Ah, that is not my opinion. And that is not the opinion of a few Presbyterians. That is the Word of God in Scripture. And your, again, your quarrel, if you think differently, is with God, not with His ministers. All sin is heinous, but this type of sin of unchastity differs from all others, inasmuch as you sin against your own body. 
And when you sin against your body, your body, there are consequences. There's a weakening of your constitution. Men become beasts. Women, something else. Perversity changes your character. Sometimes it's reflected even the way you look. No other sin affects your own body. But this really does change you. It really does. And Paul says so in 1 Corinthians 6. Be careful. Be chaste. Uh, young ladies, keep your virginity. Young men, keep your purity. Uncleanness together with ungratefulness is one of those signature marks of unregeneracy, pagan unregeneracy. So much so, remember the, remember the story of Balaam and Balak. Balak wanted to ruin Israel, God's people. He wanted, Israel was too much. They were gobbling up everything before them in the wilderness. They must be stopped. Jehovah of hosts is with them. They are an unstoppable host. All nations are promised to them there in the settlement. Seven nations were driven out. Egypt, the world empire, falls before this Hebrew slave nation because there's a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire before them. There's only one thing that can, that, that can, that can happen to stop this before we lose all of our homes all of our families, all of our cattle, our nations. We must pervert Israel. If we can get them into whoring with our women, their characters will be changed, and God will abominate that sin, and God will eliminate them through impurity. And that's what we have in America going on right now. It's satanic. The church will be eliminated through its infidelity to pagan lust. And that's why churches are failing. That's why church membership all over the place is failing. It's one thing to have preaching and the sacraments and the ordinances and all that, but the people of God are being seduced by Balaam with intrigue. The church will fail. Don't quote me that the church won't fail. Unless God preserves his church pure, the church will fail. You're deceived to think not and otherwise. Remember the seduction of Balaam. Ask for the grace of repentance. Learn what repentance is. Learn, study the doctrine of repentance. It's more than just a change of mind. You must abominate sin. You must hate your own sin. You must, you must cast shame on your you, you must humble yourself before the Lord and become angry at yourself for being so foolish as to be led by a Delilah to cut your hair and commit suicide in the house of Dagon. Ask for grace to hate sin as God does, but especially sexual sin, unless you want to ruin yourself. 
This sin will ruin you faster than most. Show zeal then to be chased before God. One of the components of true repentance is zeal. Your dress will change, your, your, your language will change, the music you listen to will change. You go into, you go into a Christian's house, I've done it, or, or you sit down in his car and he's playing this wild acid rock that is raunchy, raunchy, raunchy. You go, what kind of stuff is this? What kind of stuff do we got in this house? You can't live at peace with God with this kind of lyricy going around, bouncing off your walls and into your head. Show zeal to be chased before God and man. Your music will change. Your dress will change. Your interests will change. The, the books that you read will change. Your company, the kinds of people that you love, will change. You'll love decency and decorum. You'll have more self-control. You won't be flitting about some kind of wild bee looking for pollen. Now, my friends, we cannot do this. We, it's like Joshua. Here are the Lord's commandments. Here's the, the amount of blessing and the amount of cursing. You keep the commandments, you'll be blessed. You break the commandments, you're going to be cursed. Oh, yeah, no, we will keep all of the word of the law. Yeah, yeah, we promised it. Oh, clearly, clearly, the Lord, he's our God. The Lord's our... Joshua said, you can't. You, you can't. You cannot keep this law. Because our God is a most, a most pure spirit. And you cannot by will, by determination in the flesh, do nothing. It's not him, about him who runs or him who wills. It's about God who in his compassion keeps us from this and graciously gives us a new heart that we might actually love purity and hate profaneness. Otherwise, none of this stuff will make any sense. And you'll begin to excuse your sin with, you know, I was born, I was born a homosexual. God made me homosexual. We will deceive ourselves. And we'll think that our natural fallen desires are acceptable to God because we're in his image. And the, the the major denominations, even the long-standing, long-standing so-called Christian organizations are already in that boat. And we are already seemingly in an extreme minority position as Christians. So beware. This, this teaching is particularly dangerous in our age and very seductive. But the gospel gives you is the power of God of salvation, First of all, if anybody has committed every kind of abominable sin, all, all is forgiven in Christ. Even the abomination of the high priest, the crazy, crazy example of not even understanding that what he's doing is he's condemning the high priest and he is and he's fulfilling the very uh, offering in the scapegoat. He does not, he's, he's utterly failed. You know, there's a provision for that. There's a provision when we utterly fail God in our purity, even under covenant. And so remember that he is a God most slow to wrath, forbearing 
willing to forgive sin, willing to cleanse you, willing to grant you his spirit, willing to help you repent. And by all means, pursue that. And that's all free to those who trust him and call upon his name. There's really no excuse and there's really no exception. All who believe him are promised that he will walk with you and he will keep you from all that is displeasing to his father. It is his work and he will do it. He's faithful. He's just. He will perfect you unto the day of redemption. He's the Savior. He will do it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your sure word and thank you for your law, which is most clear. We pray that we have dealt with this material justly and boldly. And we pray, Lord, that as we have affirmed your word, that you would keep us in your light and that you, Lord, would cause us to walk in your light and delight in it and uh, have our hearts to love your purity and love your fidelity to your church. You care for no other people in the world as you do for your church, and we love you for that. Blessed Lord, be blessed as we look to you for every grace, and we pray that your name would be great in Israel, your, your gospel Israel, and that you would keep her from idols. We pray in Jesus, amen. Let's sing our last anthem. What kind of man can live in the world? 560.